Good morning. I've been going through the book of Acts, looking at the speeches that we find there in a series entitled Spirit Words. The martyrdom of Stephen, as we've been following the narrative, causes Jewish Christians to relocate to other parts of Israel and into the Roman Empire. We've identified the fact that the word for sow in the Bible, as in sowing seed, is the same word that's used when people are dispersed, when they're persecuted and, and force, forcibly dispersed. So when we read the narrative and the persecution that's happening from a human perspective, we see people being forced to flee. But from the divine perspective, we see the gospel bearing fruit. Jesus said in the beginning of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Christian mission started in Jerusalem, then dispersed Jewish Christians were forced to flee from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. We looked last week at Philip. After being dispatched north to Samaria to spread the gospel, Philip is told by the Spirit to head south toward Egypt, and he meets a man from Ethiopia. And the Ethiopian culture is a remote, advanced culture that represented for Greeks and Romans. They really saw the Ethiopian culture as part of those cultures that are at the ends of the earth. Let's read, pick up the narrative in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Obeying the divine directive, Philip headed south from Samaria. On his way, he encountered an Ethiopian who was also a eunuch, an official in charge of the queen's treasury. In more modern terminology, this Ethiopian would have been called perhaps the minister of finance. And eunuchs were used and were found to be particularly trustworthy and loyal to their rulers. This Ethiopian was a God-fearing Gentile who believed in the God of Israel, but he had not become a convert to Judaism. As a eunuch, full membership in the congregation of Israel was not even possible because of that physical problem. He could visit the temple in Jerusalem as, as he had done, but he could only get into the courtyard of the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that this individual wasn't devout. The trip to Jerusalem, I read, I've heard, it took as much as five months each way to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to, to be able to worship.
we pick up what the narrative in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Complying with the Spirit's directions, Philip ran up to the slow-moving wagon and began to trot alongside it. He heard the Ethiopian as he read aloud from the text of Isaiah. This Ethiopian was wealthy enough to be able to have his own copy of the scroll of Isaiah. These scrolls were not they weren't in book form as they are today. It would likely have been a scroll that was anywhere between 8 and 12 inches in width and anywhere from 16 to 45 feet long rolled up. Isaiah prophesies in the section that the Ethiopian was reading that the, the unjust death of an innocent man, and the text goes on to ask what kind of generation would take a life like this? How can you describe a generation like this? And the implication is that only a wicked generation can do what happened to this unjustly crucified, executed individual. The Ethiopian wants to know, who is it that Isaiah was writing about? Was he writing about himself? Was he writing about somebody else? And Philip fills in the blanks for him and tells him about Jesus about Jesus' tragic, unjust, unjust death, it looked as if it resulted in everything being lost, but in fact resulted in everything being gained, that the opportunity of eternal existence, being part of God's forever family, would be extended because of the death of this righteous sufferer. Philip explains to him, and, and the eunuch's his his desire is to become one of Jesus' followers. As they were traveling along the road in verse 36, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip baptized this ministry of finance from Ethiopia. We've talked about baptism before and that it was a term that it literally meant to immerse. And it was something that individuals who dealt with um, dying garments, and we've talked about this before, that if you take a white garment and you are 
dipping it into purple dye, the garment begins white, you put it into the dye, and what's true of the dye becomes true of the cloth that's put down into the dye. And baptism is a really good image of what happens when we believe in Christ. What is baptized becomes identified with what it is baptized or immersed into. And in the case of a garment, it goes, it starts out white, goes in purple, and comes out purple. What, it, what does it mean then to be identified with Christ, to be baptized into him? Well, it means that what's true of we who are identified or immersed into Jesus means that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us as well. And this is a wonderful illustration of what happens through faith in Christ. So you'd ask, then, what's true of Jesus? Is there anything that Jesus do can do to be more accepted by the Father? The answer is, of course not. He didn't do anything wrong. He was perfectly obedient. And so if we are identified with him, what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. If we place our faith in Christ, is there anything that we can do to be more accepted by the Father? And the answer is, no, there isn't. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us. The same thing with being loved. Is there anything that Jesus could do to be more loved by the Father? Anything that he didn't do as an expression of devotion to which the Father responds in love? No, there's nothing. Jesus cannot be any more loved by the Father. And if we are baptized into Christ... And if what's true of him becomes true of us, is there anything we can do to be more loved by the Father? And the answer is no. That's why baptism is such a wonderful illustration of what happens through faith in Christ. What's true of Jesus becomes true of those who place their faith in him. Um, and that's what the Ethiopian desired to do. And through faith in Christ, he became a member of God's forever family. And we're going to look at why that's significant. Well, let's answer a couple of questions. What became of this Ethiopian eunuch? He ended up back in his Ethiopia and doing his responsibilities. It's probable that his conversion would have caused trouble for him when he got home. We don't know. Later church father do relate, though, that he became a missionary to Ethiopia, and he became one of God's spokespersons in that place at the end of the earth. What became of Philip? The text says he is miraculously taken away, and he ends up in the Roman capital of Israel, the Roman capital of Israel, which was Caesarea. Apparently, he's still there 20 years later because what we read in Acts 21, which is about 21 years, 20 years after the fact, we read leaving the next day, Paul and Luke, you're traveling with, reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip. That's our man, Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So that it seems, became Philip's place of residence and where he centered his ministry. The story is notable for a couple of reasons in that it reflects walls being torn down, barriers that existed to being able to connect with God that were torn down in this story. In the Old Testament, for instance, eunuchs, those with physical deformities, are excluded from temple worship. 
Isaiah prophesies that this will change someday. In Isaiah 56, verse 4, it says, Let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Isaiah prophesies that there will come a time when eunuchs will, and those who are physically deformed will be able to place their faith and will be accepted as members of God's family. And this story reflects the time when Isaiah's prophecy, prophecy came true. More importantly for us, in the Old Testament, Gentiles are excluded from temple worship as well. And that's what this Ethiopian would have been. He would have been a Gentile. Isaiah prophesies that there will come a time when Gentiles will be able to be included as members of God's family. It says again in Isaiah, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. When it talks about foreigners, it's talking about non-Jews, Gentiles. It says, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who fold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. And this becomes then, this Ethiopian becomes the first non-Jew in the book of Acts, to be given a place in God's family. And interestingly enough, when racial buttons in our time, as in our time when racial buttons are hot buttons, it's of interest to note that the first Gentile Christian in Acts was black. And apparently, not black lives do matter. All lives matter, really. The Bible has been cited to support racism. And this is not possible. There's an interesting story when Moses marries an Ethiopian. It says he, she was a Cushite woman. In the Old Testament, the, the Ethiopia is known as Cush. And here's what happens. I'm reading from Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite, he had married a black woman who was a foreigner, and perhaps their disagreement was the fact that she was black. We don't know, but listen to what happens. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Arian and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? 
the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Oh, the interesting application to this is if it was a matter of racial discrimination, um, the sign that was visited upon Mary, she turned white, but not a kind of white that she would have enjoyed at all. And she was gradually healed after that. Um, the Bible clearly states, as we, as we close, the Bible clearly states that discrimination based on race, class, or gender is not God's will. Again, I'm going to say that again. The Bible is pretty clear, in fact, very clear, that discrimination based on race, class, or gender is not God's will. That's what it says in Galatians 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither in Christ Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And what this tells us, discrimination based on race, Jew or Greek, class, slave or free, gender, male or female, discrimination based on race, class, and gender in those passages that do tell us directly what God's will is. It is not God's will. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for broken down walls, that walls existed between non-Jews and yourself, and those walls fell when Jesus came. Now, Jews and Gentiles can, through faith in Christ, be baptized into his death and resurrection so that What's true of him becomes true of us, whether we be Jew or Greek, whether we be slave or free, whether we be male or female. In Christ, there is no racial class or gender-based discrimination. Through faith in Christ and identification with him, we become sons and daughters. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.